0: The Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12. We continue on in our study in the Gospel of Luke and endeavoring to make our way through with the Lord's guidance and help. looking forward to the ministry of the Reverend Murray next week and the Reverend Robinson, as well as the various men that will bring the Word to uh, the elders and ministers and students that will be in attendance at our week of prayer. It will be a good time. And I trust the Lord will minister to, to my heart as well as everyone else, and that we'll enjoy His presence, the Lord's presence with us. But tonight we're in Luke chapter twelve and we've been making our way through this with, with a at least for me with an element of haste. It's been uh trying to move through these sections and understand what's going on. And it might it might be wise for us just to begin at verse twenty two, where we were last week and move through to where we want to be tonight, which is verses 35 through 40. So let us hear the Word of the Lord. Luke chapter 12, verse 22, And He said unto His disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then be not able to do the thing, that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass... Which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast into the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not. Where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding. That when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself, and make them sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch, or come in the third watch, and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know, that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. Amen. This is the Word of the Lord. Receive it into your hearts, and may God give light to it tonight. Let's pray, let's seek the Lord again as we open His Word together. Our gracious God, we need help always in Thy Word, and we pray that this message of our Lord Jesus would not fall on dull ears, but might be received, might be taken into our hearts in a sober and meaningful way and grant that Thy kingdom would come, Thy will would be done on earth as it is in heaven through, through even the preaching of this portion of Thy Word. We feel our weakness. We, we can't build the kingdom, Lord. We can't see Thy kingdom advance. Our own strength won't do it. We cast ourselves in thy mercy. We plead through the blood of Jesus for the infilling of the Spirit. Help us, Lord, and grant us divine help. In Jesus' name, amen. Many things in life require preparation. We know this. There's no way of getting through life without recognizing the things that require preparation. You boys and girls and young people, when you have to sit a test, you know that there's preparation required to succeed in that test. If you don't prepare, you're probably going to fail, and that's the reality, or at least not do as well as you could. When people get married, they prepare. Of course, as we've been thinking tonight, some people take more time to prepare than others. When we go on vacation, we tend to prepare also, although there's some that like to leave things to the last minute there as well. But how unusual it is for people to prepare for death. People don't prepare for death. Very few, I should say, prepare for death. I mean, you're going to die. There's no avoiding it. And every one of us is cognizant of the fact of that. And yet few seem to prepare, really prepare, for this event that we cannot avoid. We cannot dodge. We cannot reschedule. It's going to come, and we need to prepare. Your life is going to expire. This age is going to end. How have you prepared? Have you prepared? One of the things that the Bible helps us to understand and has shaped us in ways, more than we realize, is how we view our world in terms of time and history. Dr. Matsko gave a very helpful lecture last year uh, during a Reformation weekend. But we take for granted that we, we kind of view life in this linear way where we recognize that we're progressing always and therefore we have the ability to look back and meaningfully learn from the events that have happened before us. We're not caught in some chaotic cycle of events. We don't believe that things are cyclical, mechanical, or irrational. But history is the outworking of divine providence. And therefore, we can look back and see how God has worked and what His people have learned and what has transpired and learned. And it helps us then to prepare, to be aware of, of how to live life, To the full, what really matters? What's significant? We can glean from the patriarchs. We can learn from the kings. We can recognize the lessons from the lives and ministry of the prophets and through our Lord Jesus and through the apostles and everything else. And and one thing stands out. One thing becomes very clear is that, that everyone who lives well lives with an impression that they need to prepare, they're going somewhere. Abraham understood that God had prepared a city which had foundations. and God itself is the maker of that city. He wasn't looking primarily or solely for something on this earth. He is looking beyond that. And so it is for all of the saints of God. David longed for the day when he would be satisfied when he would awake in his Lord's likeness. They look forward. They look forward. And they're preparing. Their lives are ones of preparation. So we're not caught in this tension of fatalism, in which our actions are irrelevant. We are taught that we are to be responsible to prepare. And the sense of responsibility, Scripture from beginning to end, lays upon us a sense of personal responsibility. And our Lord Jesus taught that we are responsible. And if we want to help ourselves and live responsible, God-honoring lives, then we must live looking forward. Looking forward to what is to come. This chapter has brought that before us. The opening sermon of the 12, opening 12 verses of this chapter, I put before you that the, the kind of emphasis or the the commonality of the language relates to the time of judgment. We are called to remember the revelation at the judgment. The opening three verses. We need to look just at verse 2. There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light. There's, there's this revelation that is going to happen, and, and it points us to a coming judgment. There's also the fact that we must remember the destruction at the judgment. Verses 4-7. through seven. Don't be afraid of them that kill the body. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul. The one who can, has power to cast into hell, as the language of verse 5 tells us. And we're also to remember the confession. The fact that Christ is going to confess those who confess Him, verse 8. And if we deny Him before men, we will be denied before the angels of God. So, we are brought to this, this future event again, that we cannot escape, and it helps us then to prepare, it helps us to live. And these words, let me underline again, these words are to the disciples. They are to those who are following and showing spiritual interest and presenting themselves as desiring to please the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And as we've seen already, verses 13 through 12, we have the parable... Uh, the events transpire where Christ gives, is given opportunity to launch into a parable that puts before us a rich man who does not prepare. He doesn't live in light of judgment. He doesn't live in light of what's coming to him. For him, everything is about here and now, with little or zero thought of death and eternity. And then, what we looked at last week, verses 22 through 34, As we receive the words of the Lord Jesus to live for His kingdom, as the emphasis is placed upon living for God rather than self, Christ instills the concerns and encourages all that are before Him to live for Him without any worries about the things that they need. Focus on building the kingdom of God rather than your own little kingdom. The Lord will take care of you. Continuing with these critical discipleship themes, Jesus then focuses on the subject of readiness. And you see how when we read from where we left off last time, verse 34, into verse 35, it's just continuing on. It's the same message, but He comes at them with a different subject, with a different theme. He puts before them... Something they need to bear in mind. And it it really, in a sense, is is a parable. You see that from verse 41. We're not going to deal with verse 41. But Peter said unto him, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us, or even unto all? So what he is taught is is parabolic. He's, He's putting before them this lesson, and he is directing it toward his people. And Christ is going to encourage them on the importance of being ready being ready. It's not a pleasant feeling not to be ready. And if you've ever stepped into, for example, an exam, an important exam, with the overwhelming feeling that you're not ready, there's nothing pleasant about it at all. But some exams can be resat. You can go through it again. This that we're in now, what our Lord is dealing with, there's no do-over. There's no going through it again. And so with His disciples standing before Him, our Lord Jesus is impressing upon them, as we shall see, a sense of readiness. You need to be ready. You must be ready. My disciples are a ready people are you? So tonight we're looking at what I've entitled simply, are you ready? Are you ready? And note with me, first of all, the posture of readiness. Verse 35, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. So two things here, loins are girded, loins are girded. Language is not familiar to us these days, although if you're reading your Bible, you'll be familiar with that kind of language. It's impressing upon them an imagery of one that's fully dressed, and they have their belt tightened for the purpose of moving, of running, of being ready. It points to a sense of personal preparation. Men back then wore robes. And if those robes were not properly tied and they were called to move swiftly, they would be all over the place. So they have to, have to tighten the, 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 the girdle and, and pull up on it, as it were, so it gives them more movement for the knees and for the legs so they can, they can go. And Jesus saying, part of this readiness can be seen in this kind of imagery. Your loins are to be girded about. You're ready to go. You're not going to be hampered you can move quickly and freely. But also, not only are the loins girded, but the lights are on. Your lights burning. Your lights burning. Why are the lights on? Lights are kept on because there's still things to be done. We turn off the lights when the day's work is over and it's time for bed. It's time to shut out that day and go to bed and move on. And so with the lights on, it's is symbolic of ongoing service. There's still things that need to be done. We need light. And of course, it has a sense of darkness has come already. And in one sense, nature has, has told us that it's time to go to bed. But there's still things to be done. And so the lights are on and they remain on. And Jesus says, you, you, my disciples, let your loins be girded about and your lights burning. Don't let them go out. Don't turn them off. Don't stop, in other words, working. Keep the lights of labor burning that you might faithfully continue in service to your Lord. So both of these are putting before the minds of His disciples imagery of readiness. Not slothfulness, not rest, but readiness. A posture of readiness, ready to move, engaged in labor. You're not going to get caught out if your loins are girded about and the lights are burning. And that's the fear. You're going to get caught out. Of course, the purpose is not to impress Christ. The purpose is an anticipation of Christ. That's the idea. He is going to make that clear. Verse 40, we'll get there in due time. But we are to be ready also for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. And this is what it's about. He will go away and He shall return. And His people then will be ready for that return. They will have a posture of readiness. They will exist with a constant posture of readiness. Now, it's not saying that we never sleep, that true Christians abstain from all sleep and run from it as if it's Sinful. Certainly, oversleeping can be sinful in an ongoing way, but that's that's not what he's dealing with. It's not that he's removing sleep as an option from us. It's still a blessing. But the mentality, the posture, the frame of mind is this constant sense of readiness. So I've I've said, it's it's a posture of readiness. We're living so that when He comes, we're not scrambling. We're ready. The posture of readiness. Secondly, the purpose of readiness. Why are they ready in this way? Verse thirty six and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and naughtless they may open unto him immediately. So there are a couple of things here. First, in this purpose, our Lord is returning. This is one of the reasons that there must be a purpose of readiness. Our Lord is returning. The picture is of a man that's gone to a wedding and those, those weddings were pretty significant in those days. He didn't sort of leave in the morning and come back at night. Uh, they would tend to go on for days and days on end. And he's traveling to the wedding. He's going away for it and he's obviously at a distance traveling to this wedding and his servants are left to look out for the household to take care of the property. So ye yourselves, like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. So this is the sense of it. Your Lord again, this is the whole context. Verse 40 the Son of Man's coming at an hour when you think not. And he depicts then this, this scene of a man who goes away for a great celebration and he's going to be away for an extended period of time. And he himself is not quite sure when he's going to come back. He hasn't communicated to his disciples, I'll be back on this date at this time. He's gone. He's he's gone and he says, I'll be back. And so our Lord is returning. That's what's being taught there in verse 36 and becomes explicit in verse 40. Our Lord is returning. Purposefully, every communion. When the language of Scripture of 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that we do this till He comes. We read that language and purposefully, I pray the prayer of John at the end of Revelation. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And I hope even in those moments when the Scripture is read and when the prayer is offered it is pressing upon you a fresh reminder to be ready. He is coming back. The disciples, of course, as they watched their risen Christ ascend up into heaven, they they stood there gazing as the Scripture has it, Acts 1 verse 11, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen Him go into heaven. The same Jesus is coming back. He is returning. He is going to return. Now they had heard what he had taught concerning that throughout his ministry, and they were, they were aware of it. It wasn't new, but it's kind of being underlined again by the angel as they see him ascend into heaven. And Hebrews 9:28 says, "So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. And so, there's a sense when you read through Scripture, the people of God, the genuine disciples are noted for an awareness that He's coming back. That they have this sense about their their manner and their mind and their conduct. They, They know He's coming back. And so, the Lord puts this before them, look, I'm, I'm gone away for a celebration. It's like this man who's gone for a celebration, but he's coming back. And you're like the servants left. Now, how, how are you going to respond? Will it be a matter of the cat's away, so the mice play? Or do we live with a certain readiness? We have no idea when he's going to come back. But he is coming back, we know that. So the reason for readiness, what's said in verse 35, is to instill a sense of readiness because you're waiting for your Lord, verse 36. You're like men waiting for your Lord. So let me ask you, do you live like you're waiting for your Lord? Do you? You're waiting for Him. You know how you feel when you have ordered or you're anticipating a certain thing coming in the mail. And through the modern technology of this wonderful way in which we can trace the parcel, you know? So you go to USPS, you put in the little code that they give you, and you see where it is, you know, and it's arrived at this, it's left this, depot or whatever, and it'll arrive at such and such a time, and, and you look at the day, and you see the day, and you, you, you're kind of just waiting for it, and may, may, maybe, maybe legitimately so, you actually need it, and time is running out, or or perhaps you're just, you know, <laughs> just caught up in the moment of, of what it is you've got, and you can't wait to get your hands on it, whatever it is, and, but you, you're, you're kind of anticipating, everyone knows, if, if you're not like this, you know people who are like this. You know, the person is constantly checking out, oh, you know, has the mail guy come yet? You know, has the Amazon guy arrived yet? You know, constantly looking it up, constantly refreshing to see, you know, <laughs> where is he? When's he going to come? What's the predicted time of arrival and so on and so forth? About a parcel. About s- stuff. About something like what the Lord had already been dealing with. Like the things that we take thought for. And we're like on the edge of our seats. When's it going to arrive? How how come? There's like nothing like that in most Christians. And I speak to myself. There isn't this sense of ongoing readiness and anticipation. Maybe it'll be today. We have a long way to go in our sanctification, don't we? Our Lord is pressing this, and and repeatedly in other passages, He presses this sense of, of being ready, being ready. If you were called to take care of a property, and you didn't know when the owner of that property was coming back, if you were placed in charge of a certain aspect of your boss's business, and you didn't know when he was going to return, you would be constantly making sure everything's taken care of, that when he comes back, he's not going to be upset because you've been negligent of the property or the management of his affairs. You'll lose your job if you do that. And so you're so careful and cautious about it. But as Christians, and this is the thing, I could take this passage and you would have no problem with me hammering at the unconverted about the need to be ready for Christ's returns. And, and there's a legitimate call to that, of course. And if you're not saved, and you're not ready, you're not justified, your sins aren't forgiven, you haven't even made the first step. But the Lord Jesus is addressing His people. This is kingdom-mindedness. This is this cultivate this if you're my disciples. Bring this into your thinking. Your Lord is returning. Your Lord is returning. So, be like men that wait for their Lord. Be like men that wait for the Lord. There's an exhortation. Be like men that wait for their Lord. Be like men that wait for the parcel. You know, be like men that wait for anything that they're called to wait for in anticipation. Be Be ready. Have this kind of readiness. Our Lord is returning. And so... That's one of the purposes of the readiness. Our Lord is returning. But the other is then that His saints will be waiting. Or His servants, rather, will be waiting. A mark of His servants is that they will be waiting. Look at verse 36 again. Ye yourselves like unto men that wait for the Lord when when He will return from the wedding, that when He cometh and knocketh, they may open unto Him immediately. They may open unto Him immediately. They haven't taken a trip away. They haven't thought, well, he's he's gone. I think the wedding's, you know, at such and such a location, it's going to just like three days' journey there. The wedding itself is going to take a week and then he'll make you no know, three days' journey back. So so we have some time. And we're we're going to go and have our own little vacation time or head out and have a kind of men's retreat while he's away. That's not, that's not the way His disciples deal with it. They want to be ready to open unto Him immediately. It's like instant response. They've been anticipating it and waiting for it, and they're not going to be caught off guard. They are waiting. His servants will be waiting. They will be marked by the fact that they're waiting. The parable of the virgins... The wise and foolish virgins note this, doesn't it? Makes it very clear. They're all, in one sense, there, but, but some have, have have made certain preparation and, and they're, they're ready to immediately respond. They've got oil in their lamps, they're ready to respond immediately when he comes. The others have to they hear the sound of his arrival. And they have to run off and get oil in their lamps. They're not ready to open immediately. And they're lost. So the purpose of readiness is, A, because the Lord is returning. And secondly, His servants will be waiting. All of His servants will be waiting. No exceptions. It's a mark. It's a mark. His people are awaiting people. This is sobering. It is. It has to be. Living in the time that we live and the way that we live. there's So little of this kind of living in the church today. Thirdly, the prize of readiness. What's the prize of readiness? Verse 37, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he, come, if he shall come in the second watch, and that's like nine o'clock to midnight, or come in the third watch, which is midnight to three a.m., and find them so, blessed are those servants. So the prize, what's the prize? First of all, they're happy. They're happy at his arrival. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when He cometh, shall find watching. Blessed are they. They're happy. Of course they are. They've kind of lived their whole life in anticipation of this. And then He comes, and there's like great gladness, because it's arrived. Again, it's like the... I I hate the kind of... the low-level illustration of parcels coming to your door. But if you, if you do live in constant anticipation, when it arrives, when the prime Amazon van pulls up, and when the USPS guy comes, or whoever it might be, there, there's a sense of, yes, you know, because you've been waiting for it. And you get to see it, and you enjoy that kind of weird endorphin response to whatever it is that makes us feel that way. Well, if we live our lives, as the Lord is telling us, blessed are those servants. And the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Watch. Yes. They're curtain twitchers. <laughs> always twitching the curtains, you know, looking to see. Some people do that because they're nosy. You know, they always want to know what the business is in their neighborhood. Um, I call them curtain twitchers. You know? But... There's, there's a spiritual sense in which we're to be curtain twitchers. We're looking for the Lord, for Him to come back. We're interested. We want to see Him arrive, and we're going to be happy, blessed. We'll, we're going to experience a blessing that others won't feel. They won't feel it. In fact, quite the opposite. There's going to be a sense of horror comes upon those who are not waiting. They will feel the horror of it. Oh, the Scripture is replete with those who deny. They say, our Lord, the laith is coming. I mean, there are passages, you, you see, look at verse 45, just come to mind. Go down to verse 45, we're obviously not dealing with it. But, you read, but, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord, the His is coming. That's what he says in his heart. My Lord, the His is coming. And then the Lord, verse 46 of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him as portion with the unbelievers. So, so this, this is going to be horrific. The complete opposite of blessedness will be the portion of those who do not understand the need to be ready. So the prize of readiness is, is happiness. There's a blessedness to those who live ready. But it's not only that they're happy at His arrival, they are served at His arrival. Look at it. Verse 37, Fairly I say unto you, that He shall gird Himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. Wow. Now, I don't know. We have to be careful with parables in taking details of it and imposing them as absolute truth. The purpose of the parable is the purpose of the parable, and that's what you have to keep in mind. And the details all are playing into the primary purpose. What's the purpose of this parable? Be ready. Be ready. So we have to be careful with the details, that we start drawing conclusions that when he comes, he's going to start serving us in some way. And there there may be elements of that, but at the very least, at at the very least, what is here conveyed is a sense of welcome. Isn't it? Of celebration, of treating us as special guests, as special people, people that he loves and cares about. But you have this kind of John 13 scene of the servitude of our Lord Jesus Christ, making them to sit down to meet and coming forth to serve them. Why? Because, because they maintained their readiness. They were, they were faithful and diligent in their calling. Every morning they got up and they conducted their business and they, they girded themselves about and they kept their lights burning and they were ready. And when he comes, we're ready. And every moment we're ready. At any time we're watching, they are watching. Verse 37 The blessed because they are watching when he arrives. They're not caught off guard, they're watching. So when he sees them watching, and that's proven by the fact that they open onto him immediately. When he knocks, they're there. He's not knocking and then knocking a second time and a third time and a fourth time and beginning to peer in the window or walk around the property and wondering, where is everyone? They've been watching the whole time. He walks into the place, He sees everything is set in order. All the responsibilities have been done. They've maintained diligence and Fidelity in the callings that He had given to them, and they're constantly watching. Love, this, this is this is what we're illustrating—the way we are to live our lives. And this is all, this is all on the back. Keep in mind, all on the back of the instruction that our Lord has given, and the parable that He gave, where a man wasn't ready; he wasn't ready. All business about material things and the stuff of life, which has its place. But he had zero thought of the return of the Master. So should we commit ourselves to live in a way that the world looks around and thinks, you're crazy, you're crazy. Life's for living. Follow your heart. Do what feels good. And you you reject all that garbage. And you live. You live knowing that your Lord is coming and He's gonna serve you. How humbly. Fourthly, the provision of readiness. The provision of readiness. There are two aspects that are given here in verse 39 and 40. The first provision of readiness is that it safeguards us. It safeguards us. Verse 39, This know that if the good man of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready, also for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not, so he is safeguarding here this this good man, the master of the house, had he known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, but he didn't know so he is he resorts to him a kind of well it's I, I can't afford to to watch i I have to just carry on doing whatever else I want to do. And so he becomes subject to the thief's attack. And this becomes a warning. Our Lord Jesus is saying, no, if you, if you live with readiness, you'll be safeguarded from something like this transpiring. We are therefore called to live differently, to, to live with a sense of, of what we really are. And I think this really is is the bottom line. It's... it's who are we? I mean, what has the gospel done for us? What has Christ accomplished on our behalf? Is the suffering of our Lord Jesus Christ, his atoning death, his substitutionary sacrifice, is this simply so that we have no concerns about the future? We feel like we've kind of done something, but it's, a, it's, a, it's more like a, a, a once undone transaction, right? I, I, I gave my heart to Jesus. I've got that sorted. But I can continue living my life whatever way I like. The transaction that's, that takes care of that, the, the preparing that is required for the life to come, is simply I ask Jesus into my heart. I make some profession as a Christian. Maybe it goes as far as I turn up at church on Sundays. I give lip service to Christianity. But this is not it. This is not it. What Christ has done is is profound. It's transformative. It makes a difference to who we even are. Turn for a moment to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians 3, and Paul, again, he's, he's given himself as an example earlier in this chapter. If you're going to boast in your spiritual accomplishments or other legacy credentials that you have, if you have any of that, I could boast in, in that, but it, it means nothing. It, it's empty. The need is, is, is to win Christ, verse 8. I, I need to win Christ. And when one wins Christ and continues on, verse 14, pressing toward the mark, the, goal, the goals of life are higher. They're, they're changed. Everything is different. And so he encourages in verse 17, be, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk so as ye have us, for an example. Now, the word mark there has the idea of like in a scope. So Some of you, you're hunters, you like to shoot, you have a scope. It's like you have a target in view. You can, and you shut everything else out. There's all there other things maybe going on, but you've, you've honed in. And you have something in the sights, in the crosshairs. And everything has to be shut out in order to, to follow the target. And that's what Paul's encouraging here. Shut out. Shut out those that don't edify, that don't, don't live this life, this transformed life. Shut them out. Mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. They're all about the here and now. They're tied to the here and now. And I'm telling you, don't don't watch those people. Don't be sidetracked by those earthbound people. Because in receiving Christ, in becoming His, and committing yourself to Him, to follow Him as a disciple, you're different. Verse 20, our conversation, or the word could be translated citizenship, is in heaven. You, you've changed. Your citizenship has changed. Well, you're still an American, or in my case, still British. But, but, but really, the, 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 my Britishness doesn't dominate my life. You're, um, the fact you're American isn't the first thing about what conducts your affairs. Your conversation, your citizenship is somewhere else, and that weighs on you as a privilege and as a responsibility conversation is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We look for the Savior. Of course you do. Like a man who is American and he's lost in a, a country and he's trying to find some place of refuge. He's looking for a place where he might be received in and his citizenship, his American citizenship, might might get him help and support and whatever. We, we, we look for the king of this kingdom who's called us to himself, and we look for his return. He shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. What power he has, he's going to transform our very bodies and make it like unto his but note it. Note it. Where, where your citizenship is. You're, 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 you've been changed. You, you haven't just prayed a prayer. You're different. You're different. And so he slips in, even in the next chapter, he slips in another little reminder. Chapter 4, verse 5, Let your moderation be known unto all men. Period. The Lord is at hand. Don't forget that. The Lord is at hand. So, again, what the Lord is at hand is, is like a little... Reminder as to encourage moderation in life. Okay? It's the fact that He is at hand that impacts and shapes how we think and therefore how we live. So James says in James 5, verse 8, Be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. So it safeguards us. Is readiness safeguards us. Living with a sense of readiness is a safeguard. And that's why the Lord speaks what He does in verse 39 back in Luke 12. We don't want to be found out. We don't want the thief to come, as it were, and break in. We don't want to be caught. Not prepared. So the provision of readiness is, first, it safeguards us. Secondly, it shapes us. It shapes us. Verse 40. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. It shapes us. First, because we know what is certain. And what is certain? The Son of Man cometh. The Son of Man cometh. That's what's certain. We know He's coming. You go right back again to verse 36. We're like men that wait for their Lord. That what's certain is, Jesus Christ is coming. He is coming visibly. He is coming bodily, and He will return, this same Jesus that the disciples watched ascend into heaven. That Jesus will come back. And that's a certainty. That's a certainty that shapes us. Be therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh. That which we know is certain shapes us. But also, because we know what is uncertain. We know what is uncertain. And this also shapes us. For the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Here is the uncertainty. We don't know when. Our Lord, our Master is gone and He hasn't told us precisely when He's going to come back. Matthew twenty four thirty six. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And the temptation, of course, is to predict and predict and predict and seems to be a little market for this in all generations, in all places. And so we have had predictions of Christ's return at 500 A.D., 1000 A.D., 1033 A.D., 1260, 1370, 1500, a couple of dates in the 1500s, 1600s, 1700s, get to the 1800s, and a kind of special form of insanity dawns upon religious fervor, and all the cults arise, Seventh-day Adventists, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, and so on, and they all have their dates, they have their dates, this is when it's going to be, the original founders throw out these dates, and you think we'd learn from that, but we don't, we come into the 20th century, and we have Herbert Armstrong, we have Harold Camping, and they continue on, the 21st century is no different, in fact, I read something in the BBC that said that with the pandemic, there has been an explosion of cults. I don't know how they define cults precisely, but that was what the article was talking about. With the pandemic has been an explosion of cults. I wouldn't be surprised. So our Lord tells us that he comes at an hour when you think not. So it's not just that you don't know. Is it an hour when you think he won't come. So we have to be very careful. That is very searching because we all have inclinations. Some of you are inclined to imagine it's, it's, it's right at the door. It's any day now. And others have a tendency to think, well, you know, maybe it's not right now. Maybe, it's, maybe we're in the middle of the Christian era and it's still like 2,000 years away or whatever. And you like to think and argue as to why, but you don't know. Is, is, it, is it an hour when you think not? When you think it's not going to be that, that's when it's going to be. So that keeps us humble. That keeps us humble. And we are awaiting it. We are awaiting it as part of what he has purchased for us. He, he has he shed his blood and died for us, and we are we're anticipating the completion of what he has done. And that, that's, that's, that's part of it as well, isn't it? It's like, I, I don't want to... I don't want Christ's salvation to just to terminate with my present experience. I-, I want the fullness of it. Don't you? Don't you want to what to come to pass all that He has laid up in store? You know, the changing of the vile body, the transformation, the 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 the, the, the being removed from this cursed environment into a place where not that the fireth will enter in. You, I want it. I, I think we-, we sang about it where McShane is longing to love him with an unsinning heart. He's not content with the current experience, this man of God. Oh, to love him with an unsinning heart. Do you crave that? Do you? Amen. We're looking for the full experience, the all that Christ has purchased. Go to Luke 21. Luke 21. The Lord deals with a number of things here, and I'll not not go into it all, but verse 28. This shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. That's verse 27, verse 28. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. These are people who are saved. The, the, the people who, who know Him are experienced as justifying grace, freely offered in Christ. And their sins are forgiven and they possess their redemption, but the full redemption draws nigh. It's all going to come when, when all the, all the suffering and the pain and the loss and the grief and the sorrow and the tears And the, the hindered, shadowy experience of fellowship with Christ that we have here. We long for more. We long for more. To see the, the drama of redemption come to its terminus. It comes to its close. This age is all brought to an end. And so, until then, until he comes or calls, what's, 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 the, what's the call upon your life? Be ready. Be ready. Are you ready? Like, can we look at these verses and, and just think, it doesn't matter whether I'm ready or not? Or to dilute the readiness into something that's more palatable, palatable to us. So readiness is simply what I've already said. I've, I've kind of made a decision for Jesus, but it's not. It's not. It's a whole, something that dominates your life. Your citizenship is in heaven. That's readiness. It's constantly aware that He can come at any moment, and you're, you want you want to please Him. You want to open the door immediately. Don't want to be caught out. And I fear, I fear that the church, in our part of the world, and even right here, ourselves, we, we, we don't possess this readiness as, as well as we should. I throw myself in there. Someone sent me, and I'll close with this. Someone sent me a a sermon by Dr. Cairns, preached here in 2006. And you know what it was like. I mean, even his opening prayers, you're already blessed. It's like you could pronounce a benediction after the prayer and go home, you're encouraged. And in his prayer, I was so, I was so thrilled just, just by the prayer as he stood over this congregation and prayed, remember this church. We need revival urgently. Urgently do we need revival. 16 years on, the need is just as great. We need revival. And what revival does is it brings a readiness to how we live. All the language that we've looked at already in Luke 12, it gets properly calibrated. Our lives get properly ordered by seeking first His kingdom. And we stand ready laboring with the lights on and her loins girded about, laboring for Him. I ask again, are you ready? Maybe a Christian, you have to say, I used to be more ready than I am tonight. Are you content... Being closer to the call when Christ will bring you into his presence, being closer to his return than ever we have been before, are you content that you look back and say, I was more ready when I had less need to be as ready? Or do you realize living in this moment calls you to be more ready than you've ever been before? May the Lord give us grace. Let's bow together in prayer. I encourage you, child of God, to to take to heart the language of your loving Redeemer, the Lord Jesus. He stood there that day with his disciples, his friends, standing in that crowd. And no man ever wanted the best for another man more than the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he instructed them in these things to help them. May you receive these words. May they shape your heart and life. May they shape mine. Lord, I pray that thou wilt have mercy on us and help us to ready ourselves. We plead for grace to have blinkers on to those things of the world. We ask that all the glitter and the addictive Powers of the things of this present age will not exercise their power over us. May Thy gospel, may the work of Thy Son and the glory of who He is so fill our hearts that we're always mindful that our citizenship is in heaven and we want to be ready for His return. Give us grace. Give us grace. We've been reminded in the last couple of days of the suddenness with which eternity can come to us. God, help us. Be with us then in our fellowship in the moments before we go home. Bless the food provided downstairs for those that remain. Give help as we prepare for VBS. And fill our hearts with Thy Spirit. With the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit, be with all Thy people now and evermore. Amen.